from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, America's Free, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americas. Hi, Barbara. How's it going? It's a pretty uh, rambunctious week this week. It's hot here in Philadelphia. Get another scorcher. So I'm sure you've got some hot hit or misses for us that we're going to probably be able to talk about today. Yes. Yes. And today in our hit or miss segment, we're joined by Robert Clara, who's a senior editor for Adweek, and he specializes in covering the evolution and the impact of brands. And he's a really interesting guy. So we're super happy to have him. Hello, Robert. Hi, Barbara. Hi, America. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's great. And Robert, you know, I didn't notice this, but in your biography, I see you're the author of three nonfiction books. They're not really about marketing. They're about different subjects. How'd you get that, to where that you is are? Correct. <laughs> I, I have devoted enough of my life to marketing. Um, <laughs> uh, and I mean that with the utmost respect. No, I, uh, I uh, am kind of an American history maven. I have no academic credentials to speak of. Um, other than an English degree, and you know that in a metro card will get you on the subway these days. Uh, <laughs> but um, yes, I've been fortunate enough to uh, have a good agent who's placed three of my books, um, and I've written about uh, the Cold War and uh, the American presidency during World War II. Interesting. Uh, keeps my life interesting. Well, if you have that historian perspective, I guess you can put what we're living through now in kind of a bigger picture. You know, we're in the post-COVID era. Mm. Maybe that's another book someday. (laughs) Yeah, well, this this is basically how I've gotten uh, funneled into doing all the history-related stuff for Adweek, uh, for better or worse. Very Um, nice. And I don't know, are we post, I feel like we're kind of mid to late COVID. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 po- we're post COVID, pre-Delta, post, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know, it's, it's hard to follow, it's hard to keep up with it, right Barbara? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, sometimes when we talk about marketing and hit and misses, part of it is to put all of it in some kind of historic perspective, actually. So what can we learn from the past? You know, and I, I specialize in retail and people are always talking about the wheel of retailing. What goes around comes around. And now I think we're in the era of the collapse of the department store. But mm-hmm. there was one time when the department store was new and improved. So mm. I have a feeling, you know, maybe in 10 years, we'll see a new and improved department store again. Interesting. Uh, As the wheel of retail keeps turning. (laughs) Speaking of that, I'd like to start with my first hit and miss, which is kind of the the spinning wheel of the gap. And Mm. the gap is a a retail chain that has been super successful way back Mm. when, when Mickey Drexler was in charge of it. The gap Mm. was everything cool. And that was the brand to be. And then they Mm. moved off Old Navy and came out with Banana Republic and everything was great. But Mm. in recent years, Gap maybe overextended themselves. They produced too many stores. They didn't have a differentiator. I don't know. You could say a lot of things with it. Old Navy was kind of hot, but Gap Mm. was dead. Mm. And Gap tried so many different ways to 
you know, get their mojo back. Um, mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. latest thing, and this is what I really wanted to talk to you about, is it a hit or a miss, is Gap's collaboration with Yeezy and Kanye West. Mm -hmm. um, and the very first item in the collaboration between the Yeezy brand and Gap is this sky blue puffer jacket that mm. retailed for $200. It dropped in early June. Um, and it was the first tie up that was announced between the two in this collaboration. It instantly sold out. Um, even though it got mixed reviews, um, there was some frustration, but people sold it out. And then it mm. was selling for big dollars on eBay. Uh, and there's some idea that Kanye West has, you know, like him or hate him, he's got a lot of credibility and a lot of mm. fashion sense. And mm. my question to both of you is, is this going to work? Some analysts are talking about it as a billion dollar price tag for wow interesting so big other ones are worried about partnering with him and giving him so much control what will that mean for gap yes. going forward and yes. other people are saying you know they don't see it so curious what you're thinking americas you have a take on this yeah i mean first of all I mean, it's interesting i mean you know the fact that a puffer jacket if i understand what a puffer jacket actually is uh the fact that the fact that you know it would sell out in june is in and of itself kind of interesting, <laughs> the fact that, you know, it's, it's so hot right now. But anyway, so, I mean, I think there's some interesting issues here, Barbara. I think that in some senses, we've talked about this a lot on the show, the idea of a celebrity brand and another brand working together and what happens to each of the brands. Where, where does the halo transfer from and to? And does that actually provide some kind of set of issues that's going to help either of the two brands. I mean, I think the Kanye West brand is highly radioactive. I mean, this guy, <laughs> right? I mean, at any point in time, this guy can go sideways and you've got yourself a, and I can guarantee you, I mean, I'm a big fan of his music, but I can promise you he has not read the fine print of a contract with the gap. Uh, and any kind of collaboration that would say, hey, you know, don't do some crazy shit. So, I mean, in, in some sense, it's just like, let's swing for the fences. Uh, this is a, sort of a, a high risk, but high return in some senses. And so, you know, pulling him in, I think, has that sort of um, aura to it. Uh, but, as, you know, can it resurrect this, this lineage to your point, Barbara? Is that I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it can, it can actually like bring the brand back a singular kind of idea. I think in many of the concepts that I've seen where brands have restored themselves or changed who they are, it's always been like a multidimensional kind of thing where it's not just, well, here's a person and he's kind of cool. And if he doesn't go nuts, this might be kind of interesting. Uh, but it's, I, I'm thinking about Target, where Target just sat down and very strategically tried to reposition and through, you know, working with certain collabor collaborations and designers over time, were able to kind of, you know, move itself out of the blue light special area, you know, right next to Kmart and into this other thing called Target, I guess. But it takes a long time. And I guess, you know, I'm willing to sort of see what happens, uh, you know, in the short term. I mean, it certainly will be interesting. I mean, it's like, you know, we'll, you know, will Kanye, I mean, it's entertainment. Like, what's he going to do? <laughs> Actually, like, keep the eyeball. So 
I'm sort of I'm sort of saying it's a hit, but let's see. What what are your thoughts? You know, it's that Robert, I'm interested in your historic perspective on this because as we discussed, Gap was not defined as casual fashion. And Yeezy Gap, I don't think, is in that same DNA. You know, he has a I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it doesn't sound to me like casual fashion in that sense. And it definitely gives him a lot of control and a lot of power. Um, what's your take on this, Robert? Well, I mean, what's I always feel kind of bad for the gap because they were truly a pioneer. I mean, you know, way back in the proverbial day, uh, they were like the go-to place for Levi jeans in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, then they came out with really affordable, cool, everyday wearable stuff. Um, it's almost like they invented a game that then competitors beat them at, which of course we see again and again and again. Uh, I am glad that America spoke first because I can just say, what he said, um, <laughs> because I will, too, take a, a, a page from uh, branding history and mention Target. You know, when they first did capsule collections many moons ago, uh, I remember the naysayers saying, oh, it's going to destroy the designer's reputation. Right. Mm. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it didn't work out for Halston and Sears or whatever it was. I think it was Sears. Um, but, you know, it turns out that it didn't destroy the designer's reputation and it helped Target's reputation. So I can't help but think that Gap is trying to take a page from that playbook. My concern is, and I'm going to, I guess I'll call this a tentative miss, if I may. Um, I feel like this first item is obviously going to have a lot of buzz around it. And that's why, you know, they have enforced scarcity. They only made a certain amount of them. And now the resale value is through the roof. There's a big difference between that and getting regular foot traffic back into stores. So again, to America's point, if association with Kanye uh, helps younger shoppers take a second look at Gap, maybe it causes them to stop into stores and say, oh, oh, my father used to shop at this place. Let me go in. Right. The only thing is, if the Gap is not ready for them with some really cool duds, it's a missed opportunity. So I feel like mm. Kanye could give them a leg up, but Kanye, dear Gap, will not save ye, mm. uh, says Robert. <laughs> yeah, and let me just add a little, you know, uh, you know, a little uh, PS to this whole thing. Gap was a very big mall store, but as you know, the malls are losing traffic and it's going more into the neighborhood centers and gaps are building into strip malls and neighborhood centers now. So that's also kind of a different take, you know, where they're going to be shopping and why they go into the gap. So there's been a lot of conversation about the new direction for the malls. They used to be anchored by department stores. People would go into the department stores, buy some stuff there, and then walk around for the other stores. And Gap was one of the stores that was always in the mall. But now the conversation around malls is more not about department stores act anchoring, but more about like an activity anchoring. Um, so there's a reason mm, to go to the space. It's maybe right. community space, it's experiential space, whatever it is. And then retail is kind of integrated into the activity. Um, and I don't know how that whole change of a mall store changes because Gap is almost the prototypical mall store. So I don't I, know. I think it even gets a little bit worse than that. If I could bring more dark clouds in um, <laughs> from from what I'm reading, and I don't purport to be an expert in, you know, mall based real estate, but 
you know, we've heard about mall death for quite a while now. The malls that are failing are the early malls and those mid-range malls. From what I'm seeing, it's the upscale malls, however you want to define that, that are still prospering. The only trouble Mm. is if you're selling uh, square footage in an upscale mall, Gap's not your idea of a tenant. Mm. Um, And so I, I would think that they're going to probably have to take a pretty hard look at real estate uh, and where they're at and, um, you know, figuring out what the right size is for them, uh, not just vis-a-vis malls, but just, just in terms of uh, brick and mortar, period. Um, I think they have too many stores and in that they're not alone. No, yeah, the overstoring of America has been the news story, the top headline for a while now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, on top of figuring out whether Kanye West is the right celebrity designer for Gap, they also have to rethink their whole geographic strategy and where they're putting their stores and what's omni-channel and what's social media and all these other things. So a lot of interesting directions to watch to see what's going to happen with the Yeezy Gap in the future. Yeezy so gap. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that bottom line, it's maybe a hit or maybe a miss. I'm not hearing like any real support for um, yeah, I, I think it's tough to say. I mean, anytime you bring in a guy who, I mean, the guy is just, it, it's like, you know, you, you, you're playing with fire because the guy in some ways is a genius. In some ways, he's a lunatic. And so, <laughs> anytime, you know what I mean? So it's like, the question is, am I going to get this genius thing happening or am I going to get this bizarre, you know, tiger's blood, weird kind of thing going on? And so, I, but I guess that's the allure. It's sort of like, listen, we're going to take a shot here. And to Robert's point, which is really interesting, you know, let's get the initial momentum, the buzz going, and then what's under the hood may be, you know, some really cool stuff that can be introduced to an entire new group of, uh, uh, of younger consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if all you have to do is get attention, Kanye West, you couldn't get better attention than he. He yeah. manages to steal the headlines all the time. So and just, a, just, as an F, just as an FYI, Barbara, he named his two daughters Chicago and North. So that ought to tell you. <laughs> that ought to tell you anything can happen. So yeah. be very yeah. careful. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Robert, I understand you have one for our consideration, our expert consideration. What's yours, hit or miss? Yeah, here's my hit or miss. Uh, this comes courtesy of my colleague, T.L. Stanley. Uh, I won't take credit for reporting this one. Uh, the fast casual dining chain Panera, uh, mm. which used to be Panera Bread. I guess they're mm. just Panera now. Uh, last week, I think, Mm. launched a line of swimwear. (laughs) They launched a line. No, wait. Oh, no. This is only the beginning. They launched a line of swimwear that is themed off their most popular menu items. And you might think, what on earth would that look like? Mm -hmm. This includes swim trunks for men with a broccoli and cheddar motif. Um, it also includes a flotation <laughs> ring for your pool that's shaped like a bread bowl. And there's an olive green one piece for women that says soup on it. Um, oh and all of these pieces oh, wow. are available uh, on a site called swimsoups.com. Wow. Uh, and they are priced at about $25 each. So let me try to explain the marketing wisdom behind this before yeah, we do that. <laughs> I, 
so, so before you do this, Robert, should I take some psychedelics so I can do this, this explanation? Well, let me tell you what. If you see these swim trunks, you won't need psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> Microdosing. <huh? laughs> so uh, the idea here, according to the PR people at Panera, is that they want to send the message that their core menu items and, you know, I think people think of Panera as a kind of wintertime place to eat, I think, by mm. and large, right? Oh. You think of warm bread and soup and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. know they have salads, too, but people, for some reason, associate Panera with soup and bread. And that, I got to tell you, I just took a mile walk outside and soup and bread was not on my mind. <laughs> um, so what they want to do is send the message that their core menu items still remain popular during summer months. And they say that 70% of soup fans still eat soup, even in weather like this. Mm. So I think that they want to kind of list that they're poking fun at themselves. You got to give them some points for that. It's goofy as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to call this a, uh, uh, a, a tentative hit. I know mm. hedging my bets is, is cheating, right? But <laughs> here's the thing: uh, it's an inexpensive way to keep a brand's name in the media because, well, gosh darn it, Adweek paid attention to it. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, the other thing, and I, I don't want to overtalk my segment here, but you know what they're doing here? It's nothing new. They're turning people into walking billboards, right? And mm. ah. it's been done since the dawn of time. And mm. um, I, I'm going to play armchair historian here, if you'll indulge me for a minute, because mm-hmm. I've actually written about this for Adweek. As it turns out, food and beverage restaurant brands have done clothing promos for years and years, like longer than I realized. I don't know exactly when it started, but I do know that back in 1975, and that was 40 years ago, goodness gracious, um, Budweiser, you got to tip your hat to this. They sent teams out to spring break hotspots in Miami and San Diego, and they started handing out free T-shirts that had the Budweiser can logo, you know, the butt, the famous bow tie logo, right? Crazy like they, a fox. <laughs> they handed out thousands mm-hmm. of them. And what happened? The frat boys went back to college with these t-shirts and everybody said, oh, I want one of those, right? And so they sold, I don't know, zillions of these things. Zillions. And what they ended up doing was getting everybody to model their logo. And yeah. now that's not a flash in the pan. As it, I did a little bit of Googling here for you folks. As it turns out, Taco Bell has an entire apparel collection yes. on their page. It, Taco it features, Bell did great things with this kind of merchandise. Yeah, I, yeah. there's, there's uh, uh, two-piece pajama sets with tacos on them. Uh, McDonald's, uh, just in May, did that apparel collection with BTS, the K-pop group. But, you know, um, let me just stop you for one second. Taco yeah. Bell, Budweiser, you know, they are kind of cool brands. Absolutely. Panera is bread and soup. Yeah, <laughs> I know. that's fair. I that's know. fair. That work as well. I don't know. Yeah, I, actually, Barbara, that is an excellent point, because even if you're not a beer drinker or not a drinker at all, you have to doff your cap to the cultural place that Budweiser holds in the yeah. American imagination. And yeah. for better or worse. Taco Bell holds that space too. McDonald's certainly does. Oreo cookies sells hoodies and socks. Oreo is a picture. Panera bread, I just don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 
I, That's, think, I, mean, I, I, I love the idea. Sorry to interrupt, Barbara, because in some senses, it is this kind of thing. Taco Bell also has a hotel, I believe, where like you can go and like eat Taco Bell and like giant burrito shaped swimming pools and all kinds of stuff. So it's to Barbara's point, Robert, which is make the brand live above and beyond its normal experience. And I think that's right. kind of smart. Here's the problem, though, because my because my daughter it, her, she loves Panera, and in fact, her favorite thing is the is the grilled chicken Caesar salad uh, with extra chicken. I love in getting fact, to know all these personal details about <laughs> Barbara's like, and what is this? But what's interesting about it, she asked for it. In fact, she has asked for it today, which is shocking. This is interesting that this is coming up. But the notion, Barbara, that you know, why can't the why can't the Panera brand redefine itself? Why can't we have some degrees of freedom to be able to think through it? And maybe reimagine it in a different way. So, I mean, yeah, I love the idea. Yeah, you know, I love the idea of like trying to create that experience. But obviously, there are some limits and caveats to that. You were saying, Barbara. Yeah, I was going to say because I think part of what's happening now is whether or not these brands can create a cultural moment, uh, and I think that's what you were talking about. McDonald's is a culture, Bud is a culture, Taco Bell is a culture, and even if you like the food at Panera's, which frankly I do also, I don't know if it has that same cu- cultural kind of ethos. Mm-hmm. And, and whether I was going to build the culture on bathing suits, you know, I mean, there is mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. about. Even if you talk about that as a moving uh, signboard or a, a personal advertisement, I'm not sure all the dots are connected so well. So I mm. would give it a very lukewarm support just mm. because I'm not, I think the idea is a good one, but I'm not sure the execution is exactly right. Mm. Uh, that would be my I, I, I'll, I'll give, I, I got to get behind you on that one, even though I did call this a modified head. I, I got stuck on, <laughs> There was just a thematic problem for me to imagine broccoli and cheddar in a swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) It was just disturbing. And it's not cool. (laughs) It's disturbing. (laughs) That's funny. So I don't know if it's going to work or not. Good good, good try. Good try. Maybe we can do it. But I don't know. I'm a little bit less supportive of the idea just because of the execution. But Robert, we only have a few minutes left. And I love to hear about what your real, your serious reporting. So I know you've written an article recently about sports marketing um, and uh, some of the hateful fans that are online. Can you give us a little bit of background on that and what you're thinking? Sure. This was a this was a really, really involved feature that I worked on for a few weeks. And I timed it to the very end of Pride Month in June. Uh, and what got me going on this is I, I was surprised given my age, I'm 52. Uh, it was only a generation ago that you would not have seen major sports teams or leagues come down so publicly with LGBT plus affirmative messaging. And now most of them do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I, I will step out of my impartial shoes and say, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I came across a statistic that really uh, gave me pause, which is between May and June of every year, the number of fan comments that are put on teams and league social media platforms, you know, Instagram, Twitter, that are classified as hateful and offensive, Mm. that number goes up by 247% for June. Uh, And I know percentages can be misleading and PR people throw these at me all the time. So let me just throw out a data point, if I may. Total number of fan comments to team sites runs about 200,000 a month or so, right? Okay. So Mm -hmm. in June, 
the ones classified as hateful and bigoted, ergo ones that they felt deserved to be removed, okay? Mm -hmm. We're not just talking about opinions like keep your personal life to yourself. We're talking about ugly speech here. Mm -hmm. Um, The the number of those comments out of the 200,000 numbered 46,611. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a lot of hate. So I wanted to take a look at how sports teams handle this Mm. and more to the point why do they even i mean uh, the big question is why do that why not just ignore it let people say what they want to say so one of the major messages to come out of this is regardless of what your brand messaging is if you have a social media platform that has hateful comments on it Mm. visitors to that platform are going to associate those comments with your brand because they're going to think wait a minute, yeah. these guys aren't going to take something like that down? What's wrong with them, right? right. Absolutely. Uh, the burden of curating this falls to the brand. So that's where our branding and marketing angle is on this. I agree. Gotcha. And I talked to a lot of teams and leagues. Uh, needless to say, many did not want to talk to me. Uh, they talked to me on background. One or two talked to me on the record. Uh, but the takeaway was basically that this is a job for AI-based natural language processing programs because there's just so much of it now. Mm, Um, And so AI is helping these brands do this, these teams do this. What's interesting to me is AI can only nail about 70% of it. Mm. As for the other 30%, uh, you need human eyeballs on this. So it's a very interesting confluence of a social media team that needs to be on their toes and solid AI, but this is a whole thing that happens behind the scene. A lot of scenes, a lot of people don't talk about it. Two other quick things before I run out the clock. The NFL told me that 55% of the comments that they get about LGBT, their LGBT stance in June are positive. Okay. I don't know if that's a big number or not. That puts 45% in the gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Either mm-hmm. mildly negative all the way down to quite hateful. So that's really... That tells you something. Interesting. And also, my time hook, and boy, this guy was just a godsend for me, Carl Nassib. Let's hear it for that man's courage. Um, yes, absolutely. Interesting. This is my last takeaway, and then I'll shut up. Carl Nassib came out of the closet. 80% of the social media comments were positive, right? right. So what this tells me, I'm just inferring this. But if a, if, if a player that people like comes out of the closet, this is why mm-hmm. I think it's important to have this kind of visibility. Mm-hmm. Fans seem more likely to say, oh, you know what? He's a good dude. I'm cool with that. Right. Yeah. As mm-hmm. opposed to a more general branding message. Interesting. That feels corporate and feels maybe politically correct in a restrained kind of way and obligatory kind of way. People don't seem to buy into that as readily. So there was a lot going on in that story. It's a big read. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that makes sense because the player is authentic and he's he's not doing it for his own personal gain. Obviously, right. he's doing it because he thinks it's the right thing. Right. Um, when a brand makes a comment on it, you're not sure what their motive is anymore. Right, true. So it's a little bit hard to read. Well, thank you, Robert, for being on our show today. Not only do you have good uh, information to share with us, but an interesting historic perspective. Uh, and it is. This is in today's world, understanding what should and should not be in our social media is really important for brands going forward. So thank you very much. Um, I'm Barbara Kahn here, along with co-host Americus Reed. This is Marketing Matters. We were joined by Robert Clark who's the senior editor for ad week um where can listeners go to keep keep up with more of your research uh, robert 
Well, uh, you can just go to adweek.com and uh, look for my name. And of course, we do encourage you to subscribe uh, because you'll find some some content on Adweek is uh, free, um, depending on how many visits you make. My stuff, I think you actually have to pay for. And I'll leave that up to you guys as to whether that's worth paying for or not. But yes, you can find me at adweek.com. Thanks a lot. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the rise of voice recognition and how voice recognition technology can be used to learn things about us. This is Marketing Matters Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.